Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone picker picker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? What does this mean? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the pod first. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello, welcome to the Turning of the Bones podcast. I am your host, Colby Marie. Welcome to another installment of this storytelling experiment, this odyssey into what this this podcast might become. If you can hear in the background, I'm trying something new today. I'm recording outside trying to capture some of the natural sounds there's a lovely little water fountain a meditative zen water fountain nearby the birds are chirping the wind is blowing you can hear the distant hum of commerce in the background and yeah it's got a little setup here and i thought i'd try to do something new on all fronts for this podcast today so welcome i hope you enjoy it you lovely larrys you dapper dans you joyful jordans you ecstatic elizabeths uh, welcome to another installment of the turning of the bones podcast still going here and i am recording from the hillside of a really lovely little home outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. It is nearing sunset, so the sun is beginning to cast some shadows on the hills, bringing out some really lovely clay reds and browns, the plethora of greens, the sagebrush and the pine, and the wildflowers at the place I'm staying are just absolutely incredible. I, uh, surrounded by lavender and lilac, lots of large sweet grass bushes. It's just a really <clears throat> magical place for me. Uh, it's definitely become one of the places I go to recuperate, uh, to have some time with my, my feelings, with my soul with my emotions uh, and it's it's really special you know I think each of us has different places in the world or near where we grew up or where we've moved to that kind of feed and nourish us on a really deep level and Santa Fe has become that for me so I've come down here to do a little bit of work this week doing a favor for some friends um, and just trying to get some time to myself. I, I sped up a lot there for a bit. The last month has been pretty hectic for me and coming out of quarantine, the pandemic, I just found it really challenging to just kind of be alive and process my feelings and, you know, working four different jobs and trying to get the podcast out. I kind of had a backlog of emotions and <clears throat> One of the really wonderful things about these places that are special to each of us is that they kind of help us reset and recharge. And so, yeah, that's what I'm doing down here in Santa Fe, taking some deep breaths, going on some walks, watching the lizards scurry about in the, in the dirt, uh, listening to the coyotes, have a... Uh, their little meetings in the evenings and I'm going to try to record this podcast outside today and I hope that it goes well there's a got a bit of a tickle in my throat you may hear uh, my allergies 
have been bothering me the past couple days, so I hope that's not distracting. I need to clear my throat a few more times than usual. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna gonna try this little ASMR-ish, this little meditative, possibly binaural, capture the sounds of nature and uh, try something new. I, like I said, have been just on the go and it's been really hectic and kind of hard to plan for the podcast and I really felt a bit discouraged lately, um, which I don't think is uncommon when you try to do something new, put your heart and soul into something, but uh, I was just feeling a little, a little hopeless, you know, I'm so grateful for all my listeners and I'm really finding that I, I get feedback exactly when I need it. I was really stressed out this week about what to record and luckily enough, the universe came through in the form of one of my former students and we had a lovely little text exchange which I will share with you during this podcast and this is my first attempt at a a podcast directly for the listener. This is going to be on a topic that my former student named Jay uh, asked about, some stuff that uh, Jay has been going through, kind of came up in our text thread, and I just feel, <laughs> I just feel so overwhelmingly lucky to have had the relationships I've had with my students. Um, I actually met Jay the first year I ever taught, and quite possibly the hardest class I have ever taught. It was my fifth period. So right after lunch, um, it was a reading class. Um, Oh man, there was just a hummingbird. It came up and flew right by my head. That was really magical. (laughs) Um, There's a little hummingbird feeder right behind where I have all these uh, porch cushions set up. But I met Jay in this class full of very boisterous young humans. Um, Some of them were second-generation Northside gangsters. Some of them uh, were a little bit older. The ages were kind of all over the place. And it was was right after lunch. And most of the students um, in the class were there for support with reading. and Jay was, I was just always struck by Jay because, I'm going to use gender neutral pronouns for Jay because I think the, the point of what I'll share later is really not, I don't want gender to get in the way, so I'm going to use they, them pronouns for Jay. Um, so Jay uh, always blew me away because it seemed like Jay had figured out a way to kind of stay calm and stay within themselves during this really chaotic class. Like, this class had some of the rowdiest boys and girls I've ever taught. Like, I frequently found myself, like, crying in the closet after trying to teach this class. Um, I could never get through a lesson. There was one really fun human but very challenging student in there. Um... And I, I'm in touch with probably three or four of the people from that class still. Um, but I was a new teacher. I took over in the middle of the year, so they were testing me. And I was very happy that Jay um, Jay didn't really participate in the chicanery. Jay kind of came in and tried to do their work. Um, and I ended up working with Jay off and on in school for the next four years. And uh, eventually helped with... Uh, getting their diploma and have just stayed in touch and it just means a lot to me as an educator to have formed long-term relationships with some of my students and see see them as they try to grow families and try to figure out their careers and so Jay and I have been texting <clears throat> off and on since uh, they graduated and, uh, you know, helped with various things, you know, job applications, recommendations for school, just checking in to see how we're doing. And so Jay reached out to me uh, 
this week because it had been a while since I had been in touch and was like, uh, hey, you still there? You know, uh, nudge, nudge, kind of, where you been? And uh, in the text thread, uh, I was like, yeah, hey, how you doing? And Jay responded, just taking it a day at the time, trying to figure out life, how are things? I listen to your podcast every week. It's one thing that I look forward to, and it truly helped me get through some rough times. And I responded, oh, wow, that means so much. I really appreciate And it really did. At the time, I was like, what am I going to talk about this week? And hearing that this was continually helping Jay and the stuff that I've been talking about on here was relevant to someone in their mid-20s, uh, was supportive to somebody that I care about. It, it just It's why... I, I want to keep going. It's why I want to do this. I want to help tell stories so that we don't feel quite so alone, um, you know. And so Jay had said it helped them get through some rough times, and I said, oh, that's really wonderful. That means the world. Thank you for for reaching out. Thanks for letting me know. And uh, I was like, is there something you want to hear about on the podcast? Um and Jay said, I always love it when you talk about how everyone is on their own path in life and not everyone needs to follow someone else. And so I kind of paused and uh, thought about it and was like, oh, I could talk about how, you know, the mountain is the perfect metaphor for life. You know, we're all traveling up the mountain and we all have different paths and no one's going straight up. We kind of zigzag. Sometimes we backtrack. And I was like, oh, that could be a cool idea. And then I responded to Jay, I was like, okay, I have an idea about what I want to talk about, but hit me with the big question you've been asking yourself lately. And Jay responded, honestly, the biggest question I've had lately is why are we alive temporarily, but dead forever? I know it's dumb, and obviously there's no real answer, but it's really been bugging me. <laughs> and so, thanks to Jay, if you're listening, for just cutting to the chase. This is like... The big question philosophers have been asking themselves, psychologists, spiritual teachers, it's it's why Buddha, it's the question Buddha asked himself. He was like, you know, in the face of all this suffering and death, what makes life worth living? Um, so, Jay, just want to let you know you're on to something. You're, you're taking part in the, the human experience fully. Um, <laughs> so I responded, well, that's really the big one. Uh, pretty much the same thing that the Buddha asked himself before leaving the palace to go see the world until he woke up under the Bodhi tree. Uh, I think that question really bugs you and me both. And Jay responded, I know! I think it's at the root of my anxiety, and I guess I truly never wrapped my head around death until my girlfriend's mom passed away. I always knew it was going to happen, I just never accepted it, I guess. I worry like every day that it's going to be my last, and I hate that feeling. And so, yeah, just, whew. I mean, when I heard that, just this flood of memories about, you know, losing people came to me and my experience, and so I responded, it's huge, and it makes sense that someone you care about passing on and leaving their body would spin you about a bit, or a lot. Honestly, it sounds like you thought about it for the first time in a real deep way, and honestly, that shit will fuck you up. I've been there and we can talk whenever. And Jay responded, You're 100% right about it being the first time I've thought about it in a real way. I've been thinking about going to therapy. I'm just not sure where to start. And I appreciate you being willing to talk to me. It truly means a lot. And I said, Yeah, that's the biggest question. And watching people die, losing people I love, and being a human who has been around death since I was little, I can't say there's anything in this life more important to have a relationship with other than death and the fact that this will end and I said therapy helps for sure um, I don't think I would have survived some of my experiences of existential panic um, and we would go on a little bit more back and forth make some lunch plans to hang out in a week or so and I just wanted to share that um, with you because I think it's something that comes to us all in a, 
you know, in the appropriate timeline of our lives, you know, it may have been the first time that Jay has thought about it in a deep way and really felt, you know, the anxiety of not existing. And it just, it, it reminded me of my story because honestly, you know, Jay already knows this. There's not really an answer to that question. Um, but it doesn't stop us from asking it. And I think that the asking it is the most important part. Um, and forming a relationship with it in some deep and meaningful way. It, I don't want to over speak but it's kind of like it's you know it's one of those things you could say that's why we're here this is why we're born um, this is what sets us apart from other animals and I know that I'm really talking way outside of my pay grade here you know I'm not a spiritual teacher I'm not an expert in psychology I'm just a human who has been through, who has had that feeling a lot of times, you know, that, that feeling of existential dread of, you know, I've shared in the podcast, I used to have panic attacks about like, um, what if I had a heart attack and died? Um, uh, what if I spontaneously combusted and I just wasn't here anymore? And for the longest time, I, I couldn't make my peace with that. I had, you know, growing up, um, I was exposed to death and loss quite a bit. Uh, I, I could list all of the times that I was exposed to that feeling of, of terror and that panic and that, that feeling of, of dread around the concept of no thingness. Um, you know, I used to lay in bed as a child and, and fret about it. You know, once I'd say my prayers, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I was like, what the fuck? You can die before you wake? Like, I'm never going to sleep then. Like, I'll just stay up and... You know, I'd start to think about like everything and nothing and these really big fear, these really big concepts. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's why I started these podcasts talking about fear because I feel like, I feel like fear is something we all have in common to varying degrees, right? Like, there's neurodivergence, there are people who don't experience fear the same way, but for the most part, like, one of the deepest fears is the fear of no-thingness, the fear of not existing. So I think watching or losing somebody, at whatever time it kind of clicks on that fear, and all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I'm going to die. Um, then it's like you have an opportunity to be in, to have a relationship with what does it mean to be alive um, you know in the west in America and Christianity I think really sees no thingness as a problem it's a negative feeling you know in the east in Buddhism or Hinduism and some other religions it's like no thingness or like you know that's why you meditate is to see through the illusions of attachment and aversion and uh, seeing through the illusions that you're actually separate from any of this and so you know in part like I think in the West like we have a larger fear of that um, you know the idea that you know when I die I'm gonna go to heaven or hell as a child was utterly terrifying to me it's like well I better be doing everything right you know, if I make mistakes, God's watching and God's going to punish me. So, you know, like I think when we when we come into contact with our fear of death, it gives us a chance to ask ourselves some really important questions, you know, like, do I believe in a, a, a God that punishes me? You know, do I believe 
that I go to like a different place. You know, there are all kinds of ways you can engage with this. You can believe in heaven, you know? That really works for a lot of people. That and I'm not I'm not trying to yuck anybody's yum here. Like if, if believing in heaven or uh, Akira I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, the afterlife in Islam. Um, my apologies if I'm not. You know, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum or anybody's relationship with the afterlife. But, you know, there are lots of tools you can use. You can use religion. Religion can has been created to help us make our peace with that. Um, and for me, that just didn't work. You know, when I was little and I heard those prayers and then when I got a little older and went to church, I just, I didn't buy that story. You know, I, I really like the idea of Jesus as a savior. Um, someone who helps me forgive and be forgiven and is kind and loving and helps out people who don't have as much as as you do. Um, the idea of charity, the idea of not turning anybody away, prostitutes, scoundrels, thieves, you know, poor, you know, that there was somebody who was kind of punk rock back in the day, like, no, this is all about love and I am love and you are love and I remember uh, when I was in high school and, you know, there was there's a line in the Bible about, like, heaven is here, you know, heaven is in the hearts of man. And I really took that to heart, like, oh, maybe it's not another place I go, but something I can experience here. So, you know, knowing that this is going to end, like, how do I... How do I find my peace with that, you know? And... Um, you know, it's been a long journey for me, honestly, and I don't, I don't think it's a journey that ever stops. I think that you're constantly, you know, if you're aware and present in your own life, like, you're constantly in relationship with that, because everything ends, you know, like, a nice dinner with your partner, a good date night, making out, sex, um, being sad, all of it comes to an end, including my life, you know, and and it's hard because I, I take my life so personally. <laughs> um, it's hard because my life is the only thing, you know, to a certain degree that I've known. But it's also not. And it's just hard. It's hard to it's hard to lose people, you know. So, you know, grief can um, bring up the sense of emptiness. And in America, we don't really get taught how to grieve, you know. And that's one area that therapy can really help with, you know, is like recognizing that there's stages to grief, and they're not linear. They don't go like one, two, three, four, five, six. You're done. Um, that grief is kind of like, you know, six different colors of dye that you put into water and you mix around, you know, sometimes it can turn black, sometimes they're separate, sometimes it's anger, um, sometimes it's sadness, um, but every time you lose somebody or you come into contact with death, you know, it, it reminds you of your own death, it can remind you of all the things that you've lost in your life that you haven't fully, like, processed, you know, um, yeah, like, since I was a kid, it's like, each one is different, I, I, I made a list and started doing some writing, you know, like, so I had the experience with prayer and being completely terrified of going to sleep, so I thought I would die, and then I was like, what's death, and death is nothing, well, I'm afraid of nothing, like, I remember being so gripped trying to go to sleep because of the idea of nothing. Um, and now in meditation, when I feel that, I really enjoy it. I'm like, oh, I had a great meditation. I, I went into the void. I felt no thingness. It was great. <laughs> um, it's really peaceful. Um, so meditating, you know, I think I've heard it said that the point of meditation is to prepare us for our death. Um, and I really think that's true. I don't think it's like, you know, I think Jay pointed to this, you know, later on in our conversation that um, 
Jay thought that talking about your problems made you weak. And Jay recognized that that was really, that was wrong. Um, and that just texting, you know, talking about it, it helps tremendously. So I, I, this podcast is going to be a bit rambly because it's just talking about it. There's no answer. There's no, like, do X, Y, and Z to get your head around the loss of a loved one or your own death. You know, I think um, I was writing that list and it was like, yeah, so I, I have the, the first prayer panic about not existing. Um, I remember my dad took me to, uh, we grew up in the country and he took me to, you know, when you're a kid, you're always learning about death, you know, like you're curious about it. It's developmentally appropriate to be curious about death and how the people around you respond to it really helps inform you, you know? Um, so a big part of what I got was my for my dad, you know, for better or worse. Um, some of it was good, some of it was bad. I, the job I've had as an adult is to sort through and take what works for me and what I think is true and get rid of the things that I don't. Um, but a lot of my early ones were with my dad. Like, he took me to, uh, you know, when you have chickens, uh, the hens lay eggs and the roosters don't. You don't usually find out... Uh, who's a hen and who's a rooster until they're a little bit older and so once you do you if you have a farm you typically kill the roosters and so I remember at a young age my dad took me um, to kill roosters and I remember watching them you know run down a hill uh, and at the time you know my dad made death kind of a game you know like which chicken's gonna run the farthest and you know uh, how many chickens can you carry but I, I had this this definite sense in that memory and in that experience that like this was real like this was somehow it, it made life more vivid um, and I think death can do that like it, it kind of turns up the intensity on our emotions and on the colors um, and then I remember driving down the road and my dad like clipped a squirrel um, but didn't fully kill it, and he pulled over and went, put the squirrel out of its misery, and I learned that, like, you know, you can, part of being alive is trying to prevent things from suffering needlessly, you know, like, uh, and so that, that lesson turned around later on, and I did that in front of my dad after he took me out hunting once, uh, we went to kill some coyotes that were messing with his cousin's cattle, and I shot a bird, but I didn't fully kill it. And I remember walking up to that bird and knowing that, like, I had a choice to make. Um, and I made the choice that I thought I was supposed to make. <laughs> um, so I put the bird out of its misery. Um, and my dad started crying. And I got to see for the first time, you know, how death impacted him. You know, it was like the first time I ever saw him cry was in the face. You know, and I, I don't know his experience um, of this, and I'm guessing, you know, seeing your child, you know, grow up, um, decide when to take a life, that's got to be heavy for a parent, um, and so I, I learned that, you know, sometimes death will make you cry, um, that it's okay, you know, I didn't, I don't know if I learned it's okay to cry at that time about death, but, like, I saw my dad cry, I knew crying was an option, <laughs> um, and then, you know, after my dad left, I had to, uh, I put down our first dog. I was the, I went in there, sat with my dog, Jack. Uh, my mom and my sister didn't go in. I did the same thing with my childhood cat. Um, and each time it was, it was different. You know, my grandpa passed away and I didn't really get to see him. Um, and I wasn't too terribly sad about it, you know, and I felt like there was something wrong with me because I, I didn't miss uh, my mom's dad. You know, I just kind of was like, oh, you know, Bumpa's dead. I'm not going to get yelled at by a drunk person anymore. Sweet. You know, I was 14 at the time. Um, and then I moved home after college and helped take care of my mom's mom and 
spent a lot of time with her and was actually like in the bed with her when she passed and it was like one of the most beautiful and peaceful experiences of my life I was like oh everything's gonna be okay you know I watched as she you know heard the voice of each of her children and then decided it was time to go like she was still holding on to like listen to her youngest son's voice and as soon as she heard his voice on the phone she was like okay I'm finished um You know, and it, it felt it felt peaceful and right. You know, like letting something go in a river when it was time. Or uh, you know, and I, I had thought <laughs> at that time, you know, mid twenties, I was like, oh, you know, I've got a pretty good handle on this death thing. I'm doing all right. You know, I've been reading some spiritual books, and I believe that you know, learned about science. It's just energy moving on. It's energy coalescing into a human and energy leaving a human and it just goes back energy can't be created or destroyed um i'll just turn into a cloud someday um and i kind of I, I didn't really have that much panic around death um or fear for a few years um i felt really content and at peace with that and i remember having a conversation with my godfather who uh in a lot of ways was like, uh, you know, he was like my male role model, you know, I was his mentee. And I remember being a little drunk with him. <laughs> and, uh, he would always say like, all right, boy, you know, never drink more than six Budweiser's or smoke 10 unfiltered camels a day. He's like, you know, really brilliant, hard human, but also really wise in a lot of ways. And I remember asking him in my mid-twenties, you know, after my grandma passed about, uh, you know, I was kind of looking for advice and I was like, why, you know, why am I the one? Why, you know, why have I been around death so much? Because I felt like he could answer the question, you know, he'd been in Vietnam. Um, I know he'd lost people. I know he'd taken life. Um, and he kind of said something really stoic because you can handle it, you know, because, because you can, you know, um, and I think because of my exposure and my relationship with those fears, like, I was able, with a high level of difficulty and challenge at many different times in my life to engage with that, and so, you know, I kind of, I assumed this role, you know, upon my godfather's advice and his reflection that, you know, like, yeah, you're just the one who, who can do this you know you can go into the room and be there when that happens and I don't know why that is but we all are born and we all have a job to do and that might be part of your job and I, I felt a lot of pride like maybe a little bit of arrogance like I'm badass I can be around death you know I can control my emotions <laughs> um, and then a few years later, the universe really proved to me that that was just arrogance and that I was, I was completely humbled by this experience that I'm about to tell you about. I was working uh, at Whole Foods in Boulder, Colorado. I was doing my cashier training. And, you know, I was a little anxious. I was checking people out for the first time. Someone's watching me. But it's a, it's a pretty chill time, you know, Whole Foods. I'd worked there for years as a bagger, but then they were like, you need to be a cashier, so I was doing it. I take a little sip of my beverage. Um, and all of a sudden, I, I noticed that there was, like, someone in distress, like, 10 feet away, like, falling onto the floor, a co-worker. I didn't know the person, but I knew the person that uh, she was talking to. And... I looked over and I'm like, holy shit, I think this person's dying. And she was around my age at this time. I was like around 30. And uh, like while I'm working, like the EMTs come in or trying to resuscitate her like 10 feet away. Um, really, everything kind of slowed down and I, I could only kind of my attention could only really be on that and I remember someone was like in a hurry about getting their sushi and I was just like what the fuck is wrong with you like do you see what's happening like you're in a hurry um and 
that person had a heart condition and their heart failed and she died. Um, almost exactly the same age I was at the time. And uh, the store closed for the day and I went home and just drank. And probably didn't stop drinking for a year or two because I was having such intense panic attacks about um, life and death. And for some reason that experience made death really, really, really real to me in a new way. Um, and I couldn't handle it. I didn't have the tools. I hadn't gone to therapy at that point. Um, that's when, you know, my fear about spontaneous combustion or having a heart attack or dying, like, it, it, it completely consumed me for years and years. Um, and... I think that's normal, you know, that was kind of my moment where death became really real. It wasn't like somebody who was old, you know, like, it wasn't chickens, it wasn't an injured animal, it wasn't an expected death of an elderly person. It was really shocking and sudden, and somehow the immediacy of my own existence and the eminence of my own eventual death became real in a new way for me and I, I just I, I ran away from it um, because I, I wasn't I didn't have the resources I didn't have emotional support to get through it and so I just used what had worked for uh, people in my family for generations and I just started drinking um, and Years and years later, um, I kind of came to terms with that, you know, I think, uh, oh, I had another experience inside of that year where I woke up on Thanksgiving Day and my dog had just like laid down and she was dying and it was really unexpected too and so I kind of got these two double whammies of this like reminder that like at any moment this could go away and I wasn't able at the time to do what feels good now and what has kind of become more real to me through meditation through going to therapy through sitting with my feelings um, that I would say now um, that acknowledging death every day makes life sweeter and more vivid um, and that I wasn't I didn't have the support you know I didn't have people I could talk to about it I couldn't uh, reach out to someone like Jay who was older than me who'd been through things and talk about it because there are no answers you know it was like people would try to they couldn't handle their own grief or their own sadness so me being sad they would just say shit like well get over it or life happens or any number of toxic masculine things that don't actually allow you to feel your feelings and so um you know to be in relationship with death i think you need to learn how to grieve and grieving is like learning how to be with your emotions learning what your emotions are um getting support about anxiety because you if you're having panic attacks you can't approach your emotions um and we don't get taught how to grieve in this country. Um, you know, I, I saw my dad cry twice. Um, I don't think I understood when I was younger, like, you know, now that I've gotten older, it's like my parents got divorced and I had little or no awareness that they were sad. <laughs> you know, partially because I was a child, but also because my family, our culture doesn't teach us to talk about those things, and I think that we're a little emotionally and spiritually stunted here in America around that, you know, and in, the, in, the, in other cultures, death is like public, here we hide it, you know, um, 
you know, in India, when I was traveling around India, I was always so humbled and blown away that, like, there would be a communal march of the body with music and crying, you know, once somebody's passed, you know, they acknowledge it as a culture and here we hide it, you know, we don't think kids can handle that question and so, you know, it's like having a learning disability, it's like me being behind in my reading, me struggling with math, you know, I needed supports to be able to do it <laughs> um, and here, you know, we don't talk about our feelings so I think that, you know, if there's one thing I would say to say to you Jay is just talk about it with a therapist uh, and that it's okay to feel what you're feeling it's normal it's not doesn't mean anything's wrong with you because you're freaking out <laughs> you know or you're having anxiety attacks because death is a part of life you know I think when I was getting ready to do this podcast the one thing that kept coming back to me was that Death is the one thing, for sure, that we all have in common. And so, I think it's opportunity to connect with other people. It's an opportunity to connect with ourselves. And I think that acknowledging it makes life more full. You know, I feel more grateful for the time that I do have looking at a tree uh, feeling the wind on my skin looking at these beautiful purple lilac bushes um, watching these clouds roll over the Santa Fe mountains that somehow knowing that not only will my life end this moment will end the sun will set it'll be dark um, and so therapy and meditation have really helped me with that, you know, there's, there's something really just human and normal about being afraid of our own deaths, you know, like, there's this great story I heard, uh, told by Frank Osteski, who founded Zen Hospice in San Francisco, and he, he's telling this story, he, he did end-of-life care for people, and, uh, founded a Buddhist approach to that. Um, I was telling this great story about uh, Shunru Suzuki who wrote uh, Beginner's Mind and was a Buddhist teacher. Uh, I'm guessing probably enlightened or way closer to it than I am. Um, that when he was you know, approaching the end of his life he was at home. Give that helicopter a second to go past. glorious um and so he was at home with his family and uh his son was uh getting ready to help him uh get to his his evening bath and this is someone who's meditated probably more hours than most of us have been alive you know someone who's uh really done a lot of work to you know be with some of those bigger questions like the Buddha asked in the face of suffering and death what makes life worth living and his son is taking him and getting him ready for his his evening bath as he's lowering his father you know supporting him cradling him you know helping him step into the water uh, this meditation master freezes up with with panic just totally absolutely terrified you know and I can only imagine it's you know you're old and you need support and we're all afraid of drowning on a just a basic brain stem animalistic level you know um, and he panicked this meditation master this, this, this sage was panicked and, and the, the son kind of cradled him and held him close and just said focus on your breath father just focus on your breath and 
Shunru Suzuki began to breathe. His breaths got longer. His nervous system calmed down and he was able to get into the bath and, you know, eventually, sometime later, did end up leaving his body. Um, but the point of that is even, you know, meditation masters and wise sages and people who've been around death and asking these questions, like, you can get afraid of it at any time. And so, you know, doing those things that, that help us with anxiety, like breathing, uh, breathing in for four seconds, breathing out for five, really focusing on the breath. And if a thought comes up, let it, let it pass and then kind of returning to the breath, you know. Uh, those those things are kind of timeless and they, they help calm us down on a deep level you know any therapist will help you through those kinds of exercises if you have anxiety and there are going to be seasons in life where your relationship with death changes um, I think it's something they never tell us when we're kids unfortunately is that you know as I'm aging, I'll have a relationship with my death, as my parents age. Uh, I'm, in, I'm currently in relationship with both of my parents being in the twilight of their lives and knowing that at any moment they could get sick. Um, but as far as the anxiety and the panic, you know, it's like you get support, you quit obsessing about it eventually. Um, you know, I could spend the rest of tonight thinking, oh my god, what if my best friend gets in a car accident? And I could work myself up into a tizzy. Um, but, you know, meditating and therapy helps me kind of be in relationship with the things that are out of my control. Uh, there's the great prayer from AA. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference um, and you get to really pick you know it's kind of like choose your own adventure you know you could be a Christian you could be a Muslim you could meditate you could be a Buddhist you could join Islam you could you know become an atheist um, but we're all we're all trying to, to answer that question um, you know so maybe this will be a, lo a longer series of podcasts about uh, how do we find meaning, how do we make peace with death, what I've done. That's kind of a little snapshot of my relationship with it to date. Um, but sitting here in Santa Fe, you know, I feel grateful for the times that I've been scared, the times I've been sad, the times I've felt good. Um, and I'm traveling with two dogs. One of them is my puppy, Lily. The other one is a lovely Boston Terrier named Emma. Lily is about a year and a half, and Emma is 13 and a half. And I've noticed for me, um, taking care of Emma in the times that I'm around her now, that there's a level of sweetness that I feel, and there's a level of love and affection that has increased as Emma has gotten older. You know, like for a while she was just a dog. She was a 10 year old dog who liked to play with toys and I, I enjoyed it a lot, but like the, the sweetness of like looking at Emma and scratching her belly, um, because I know our time is short. Um, every conversation I have with my mom is important to me, my aunt. Um, and you know, on the other side, having lost that dog really suddenly after Thanksgiving, I know that with Lily that every moment is special in this new and profound way that knowing how fast it can happen makes life a little bit more rich. I love a little bit more deeply and I feel more alive. You know, I can look at a friend, I can, I got that text from Jay and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> My life has meaning because I helped one person. And I think that's all I got on this one. To see how you all felt about the, the ambient noise. Uh, 
definitely not an easy topic to discuss, but I think an important one to talk about. I have been contemplating recently becoming an end-of-life doula or becoming a chaplain and working with people at the end of their lives and the families um, because I think this is important and I think we need to have these conversations more with our friends, with our loved ones. Um, and not everybody can have these conversations. I'm really grateful for Jay that uh, they felt comfortable enough to reach out to me uh, to have this conversation. Um, and this, this podcast is dedicated to you, my friend. Thank you for being in my life. I've known you since you were 14, so maybe like 10 years now. I don't know. Time's a little weird. But uh, sending my love to you and your family. Um, hope you find some peace in your grieving. Get some support. This goes out to all of us, you know. Um, this is my first uh, listener question podcast. And... Uh, I'll be damned if it wasn't a doozy, so thank you to uh, Jay for listening, reaching out, letting me know that this is meaningful and helps give my life meaning in the face of uh, my own suffering and my own anxiety and my own fears, so I appreciate that, feel connected to others, um, so I think that's what it's all about, finding some joy, connecting to the world around us, those we love. In nature. This is a uh, listener-supported, uh, crowd-funded podcast. So, if you are getting some something from this podcast, please let me know. That means the world. Send me an email, direct message. Go over to the website, contact me on social media. Send me a note if you have anything you'd like uh, to hear about on this podcast. I can ramble about almost anything, <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed this one. I hope that uh, the knowing that this is this is finite will uh, lead you to some deeper connection with yourself and others. I think that's why we're here to make meaning moment by moment uh, in an ever-changing world. So yeah, head over to my uh, Patreon. www <laughs> www.patreon.com slash turning of the bones uh, you can donate there uh, you can hit me up on Instagram and I will send you my Venmo information uh, you can like and subscribe share this with somebody and uh, I appreciate you all so much thank you for listening to this podcast I love each and every one of you uh, thank you for letting me know this is helpful it really keeps me going it's a little hard without a live audience or a classroom full of students to know when this is helping so thank you so much be well